0: The following audio is from LifeHouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or at LifeHouseChurch.org. No one plans to get their life or love or most important relationships wrong. But if we don't plan to get them right, we will more than likely get them wrong. And then what do you do if you've gotten them wrong? How do you get it right, and then how do you avoid getting it wrong the next time? Hey, kicking off a new sermon series called It's Complicated, as you just saw, and it's complicated, right? And as a result of this series, I'm hoping that some of you who are dating will actually get married. I'm hoping that some of you who are married will stay married. Hoping that others of you um, who are Dating the wrong one will stop dating the wrong one because you can't date the right one if you're currently dating the wrong one, okay? And I'm hoping that some of you who are carrying and harboring hurt from past relationships will begin to heal from those hurts. I wanted to call this particular message the gift of singleness. But after I wrote that in my notes, uh, some of our team members were looking at that and all of the singles who saw the title said, I don't think being single is a gift. And then all of the marrieds who saw it said, absolutely, it's a gift. And it's funny how often we don't appreciate what we have until it's gone. I also have this thought uh, you know, about being single. Don't wait until you're not single to discover God's purposes for when you are single. You want me to say that again? Don't wait until you're not single to find out what God had planned for you while you are single. Okay, so this is a series about relationships, and I realize that not everyone watching this message or joining me right now is dating or married or wants to be single. And so very often when I do a series like this, people just, uh, we get comments about people who are like, I hate it when he does that series. Look, in this series, I wanna tackle the questions you're asking, but I recognize that some of you are uncomfortable with this, especially during, you know, around Valentine's Day. So So let's just tackle something right off the bat. And that is that everyone is single before they're dating and get married. So everybody has experience with being single, but I did wonder, you know, you know if, if someone is single, do they really wanna hear a message about being single from somebody who's married? And then people who are married within LifeHouse, do they wanna hear about being single? Hey, as I said, everyone is single before they date and get married, and so this message is really relevant to all of us. Why? Because, here, here is the thing that I really want to kind of jump out to you, and, and it's this, that uh, we can't be, there's not going to be a healthy we unless there's a healthy me, right? So I want to share, this is, this is kind of the first thing I want to give you right off the bat. You must be good at being single before you can be good at dating or marriage. Now, that's not to say that the only goal of being single is to get married. <laughs> Actually, I may be making that point as I share, but I can assure you of this. You must be good at being single before you can be good at dating or marriage. And, you know, let's be honest, particularly within the church, we, we can often treat people who are single as if they're broken, something's wrong with them, or that the only goal of being single is to date, and get married, right? And so it's like, I I think that a lot of single people, unfortunately, can feel very insecure based on how they're treated in the church and discontent as if their only goal is to get married, you know, so they can feel like something's wrong with me or I have to hurry up and get married. And I don't think that as a church, you know, particularly people or people within the church, married people know how to affirm singles as living a valid lifestyle, like it's perfectly acceptable and healthy to be single. And so, you know, one of the things I want to do in this message is to say, what does it mean to be single? What's your goal in being single? And believe it or not, the Bible actually has something to say about it. In fact, more than just saying the Bible has something to say, um, there, there's specific parts written in the Bible about being single and by singles who are authors of the Bible. You might not know this, but there are several books of the Bible written by single individuals. Okay, so let me just jump in here. Let me set the stage. We're going to be looking at a couple passages in, first, in the letter of First Corinthians. This is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church he helped start in this ancient city of Corinth. Now, as we get into this, it's interesting because this particular letter has a lot in it, or actually the letters of First and Second Corinthians have a lot about love and relationships, even sex. And the reason for that is because of the context of the city, the ancient city of Corinth, which at the center had a goddess, a temple to the goddess, the goddess of erotic love. And so you had a city full of all kinds of perversion, sexual experimentation, and exploitation. That's right, sexual human trafficking, a lot of prostitution and abuse and misuse and misunderstandings and confusion about marriage and sex and what all that means. And then here was the challenge, right? So the Apostle Paul starts a church in the city of Corinth. Many new people are coming in, believing in Jesus Christ, coming to faith, but they brought their lifestyles with them. And so, as a church, you know, the Apostle Paul moves on to start other churches well they they send letters to him saying, "We got a lot of questions about date about marriage, about sex, about singleness, do you have to get married? Should you not get married? A lot of questions. and so the Apostle Paul directly addresses some of these questions. And so we're going to look at that in 1 Corinthians chapter seven, which he opens by making that point. Now, for the matters you wrote about. So clearly that he got their letter and now he's addressing some of those letters. And so he kicks in immediately talking about um, marriage and sexuality and sexual experiences. But then about verse seven, he actually comes to this one uh, one of the questions. I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has the gift, has, one has this gift, another has that. Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. I wish you had the gift I have. I'm not married, I'm single. I wish all of you were single, but every one of you have a different gift. I wanna say this, to those of you who are unmarried, those of you who are widows, stay, stay unmarried, just like I did. Um, Okay, so what's going on here? Well, what is important is that he acknowledges being single as a gift. And he even wishes that they were willing to stay single because he sees so much value in it. Unlike what many who are single feel, which is, you know, again, we're living in a culture where we have two extremes. The church that often makes people who are single feel insecure and discontent. And then the rest of the world that we live in that celebrates singlehood because it's freedom. You know, they have like this attitude that marriage is like the ball and chain and you're all restricted and you can't do anything. And uh, in a culture that treats marriage so cheaply, for that reason. You should just discard it, throw off the shackles and the burdens of marriage, because now you have real freedom where you can enjoy all the things you want to enjoy. But the apostle Paul refers to being single as a gift, just like he says you have other gifts. So marriage is also a gift. But further down in the chapter, he's going to come to and begin to really specifically talk about this idea of being single. Verse 32, I would like You to be free from concern. He says, this is one of the values of being single. You could be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or a virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. Let me me read the first line and the last line again to you. I would like you to be free from concern. I'm writing this that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to God. The Lord, there it is. This is really captures the Apostle Paul's focus on singleness, and so I want to just take a little bit of time, and I want to unpack this for you. Uh, but so, what is he getting at? What, what's the key here? Really, what he's driving at is this. He, he, it's not just that, like, hey, being single is great. So you can do whatever you want. You're free to do what you want. You're free to spend your time how you want, your money how you want, live how you want. You know you don't have the restrictions of caring about others. That's not what he's driving at here. No, the key is this: a healthy. It's healthy me before healthy we. It's not just that the goal of being single is to get married. It's that whatever relationships you're in, the we won't be healthy unless the me is healthy. Why? Well, it's not that singles are broken. You're, you're not necessarily broken just because you're single. It's that we're all broken. <laughs> there it is. Let's just be honest. Every one of us are broken. The we is broken and unhealthy, whether in dating and marriage, because the me is broken. Broken and unhealthy. Incomplete. What I mean is none of us feel fully complete on our own. And here, here's, I'm going to give you some arithmetic, simple arithmetic. To, to make the point that a unhealthy me's don't create healthy we's. <laughs> Hopefully you're following my me and we. Okay, here, here's the thing, right? An incomplete me, two incomplete me's don't make a better we. If you have two halves, you get a whole, right? But in relationships, it doesn't work like that. It's not simple addition where one half plus one half equals a whole. No, relationships are more like multiplication where one times one equals one. That's right. It's not one plus one equals two. In marriage, it's one times one equals one. Two of you are coming together and making a one. So one a half times a half equals that's right a quarter. See, when you get into relationships, when the multiplication effect means that the incompleteness is multiplied, and so it's true. Some of you are wait, you're, you're thinking you're starting to do the math on your own. That's right. Half times half equals quarter. See, when you multiply things, fractions are diminished right? They, they, they be, it creates less, not more. A quarter times a quarter equals an eighth. So half, half times half equals a quarter, meaning if things are fractured inside of you, and then you get in a relationship with someone else who's also fractured, you have an even more fractured relationship. So the goal is healthy we. Healthy we before healthy or healthy me before healthy we, regardless. Now, I, I want to point you in this direction as the Apostle Paul is speaking. He says, there are a lot. I want you to be free from all the extra concerns. The focus is on fully devoting yourself to the Lord. Now, notice what he's doing here. He's saying, that because the goal of life is to be able to fully devote yourself to the Lord. And if you're in relationships, you're distracted. You're preoccupied. You're concerned with caring for your spouse or caring for your family, caring for your children and the Lord. So your, your, your efforts are divided. And so he's really trying to offer an accursion. So what is he saying here? Let, let me offer a challenge. Let's begin with what we need in order to become whole and complete in ourselves. If we're broken, how do we fix that? If we're fractured, how do we become whole? Well, this is the whole message of Jesus that G- that God himself saw that we were Broken and separated and fractured, and so He intervened in our life, in our relationship with Him. We were separated from relationship with God, an incomplete and fractured me, and separated from the "we" of us and God. So God steps from heaven to earth to to, to take on our sin problems. Sin is what separates us from relationship with God. Sin is what causes the fracture the incompleteness, the brokenness. And so Jesus takes on our battle, our struggle with sin, which not only separates us from God, but leads us toward a forever, far from God. And between the now and forever, sin causes a lot of not only disruption, but ruin and brokenness. So Jesus took on our sin punishment, the eternal death sentence we all deserve. He took it on himself. So Jesus died in our place to rescue us from certain death and eternal judgment. He became our Savior. Jesus is the Savior of the world, rescuing people who are fractured and broken, rescuing people from eternal judgment. So when we believe in Jesus by faith, He is our Savior. But He isn't just our Savior. He is our Lord. The Apostle Paul is writing about Jesus not as Savior, but as Lord. The idea of Lord is this idea of being ruler over, king of. And so when we believe in Jesus, we are saved from sin and from eternal judgment, and we invite Him, we allow Him to become the Lord of our life, where He is both our source and our center. Ah, now you begin to see that when Jesus is Lord, he begins to be the source of our life, the source of all satisfaction. He makes us whole and complete, fully satisfied in him. And he becomes the center of our life and our heart, not just our first priority, but at the center of every priority, at the center of every agenda and every relationship and every desire. So can I pause for a moment Is Jesus both the Savior and Lord of your life? And if he's not, wherever there's brokenness, wherever there's a fracturing, there's no hope in this world for that to ever be repaired. No, the only hope is found in Jesus as Savior and Lord, a God who came to earth to die on the cross, to pay the penalty for our sins, then rise from the dead to give us victory over sin, over the grave, and over eternal judgment, and... He raised, rose from the dead to give us not only life, but his Holy Spirit, who is the source and the center of our heart and life. Can I just encourage you for a moment? Would you put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And if you're making that commitment right now, if you're saying yes to Jesus as Savior and Lord, one, we're celebrating with you. We're cheering you on. And we want to encourage you to let someone know. Let a friend know. Let, let someone who you love very much know. Let a classmate, a coworker know. Let us know. Scan the QR code. Your campus pastor is going to follow up with you if you fill out that form, because we want to just cheer you on and encourage you as you begin this new relationship with God. Now, remember, you're saying yes to Jesus as Savior and Lord, meaning you become part of God's kingdom, part of God's domain where he, he is lead of your life. And we, we know that God wants what's best for us. See, when you, we have, we've struggled with having someone as a ruler, overseer, lord over our life because we know that power corrupts. God is the only one where ultimate power does not corrupt ultimately. He is both perfect in love, perfect in power. And so his lordship him being king of our hearts and king of our lives is always for our best. So now there's this key question. Am I, are you willing to allow Jesus to be the Lord of your life? The Lord over your love, the Lord over romance. Are you willing to allow Jesus to become the Lord over your gender identity? for some that that's a struggle for others of you you can't even imagine that question but are you willing to allow Jesus to be the lord of your identity how you see yourself how you allow others to see you is he lord I mean are you willing to submit to what he says about you are you willing to allow Jesus to be lord of your relationship status lord of your singleness lord over your dating your desires, your goals in dating. Lord over your marriage. Are you lording over your marriage? Are you being lorded over in marriage? Are you allowing Jesus to be Lord of your marriage? Now, these questions I'm gonna come back to and ask throughout this series because one of the important things, maybe the most important challenge I wanna give every one of you is how you allow Jesus to become Lord of the relationship status you're in right now and the relationship status you will be in, in the future. Jesus is our source of life and love, and he is at the center of our life and love, which means he's not just a priority, he's at the center of all our priorities. So now let's jump back into what the Apostle Paul was teaching, where he he writes about, you know, Not being distracted, being able to be free from concerns so we can fully devote ourselves to the Lord Jesus. And the key is this, that we must focus on being the one rather than finding the one. Focus on being the one rather than finding the one. So this is more about you and who you are and how you can live your life fully devoted to the Lord Rather than your focus being on dating or marriage. Okay, so I, have, I broke this down for you a little bit and said, here, here's some key challenges. If you are single or dating, I mean, you're single and you wanna be dating or you are dating, you know what your focus needs to be? Focus on changing you before I do. Focus on who you are and who you're becoming before you get married. If you're married, focus on you, after I do. Okay, what I mean is, focus on being someone worth staying married to. Are you becoming the kind of person that the one you married wants to stay married to? Hey, you wanna get married? Are you, being, are you becoming the one, the one you're looking for is looking for? That was pretty heavy, right? So let's just pause. Pause. The key is, focus on changing you before I do, okay? The key is this, right? Like, am I becoming who I should be so that it honors and pleases God? What, what, what should every one of us do when we think about having been beat? You are single, you're dating, you're married. Healthy me before healthy we but let's make it relevant to anybody and everybody. Whether you're, in a, whether you're single and not dating, you're dating or you are married, every one of us need to be become healthier. Healthier me before a healthier we. Why, some of you, you're hoping to meet someone and then you're thinking that if you meet the right one, uh, they will make things right in your life. But here's what I can tell you. Um, then your focus is on finding the right one And then when that doesn't work out, then you think you have to find a different right one because the problem was them? Is it possible that what's gone wrong in your life is not just everyone else was not the right one? Is it possible that it's not just your spouse or the people that you dated? Are there things that need to change inside of you? How can you become a healthy me before a healthy we? Can I challenge you to focus on developing Christ-like character? There it is. When I I allow Jesus to become the Lord of my life and the Lord over my relationships, then my focus must be on developing healthy character. Become the right one. And if if you're wanting to date, you're single and you're not dating, you want to date or you're dating but maybe you're dating the wrong one and you gotta stop dating the wrong one so you can start dating the right one. But here's the deal. Are you even the one, the one you're looking for is looking for? Are you the one that the one you married still wants to stay married to? Are you abrasive? Are you angry? Are you harsh? jealous, arrogant, do you shame others, are you quick tempered, if if you're those things, if you're greedy, if you're, you you want what others have, here's the deal, probably the one you're looking for is not looking for you, and if you're those things, the one you got might not want you, I'm, I'm trying to be gentle, but these are things that I think all of us should and can hear. So the apostle Paul, if you jump just a few chapters, he outlines. Uh, th- this, these chapters are not about you know marriage and dating and singleness, but you can certainly apply it because it is about Christ-like character revealed through love. And so he he reads it, it reads this way. We're just jumping down to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses four and five, he says, "Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud." It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love never fails. Okay, I went through that quickly. Let me go back and explain this to you. Love is patient. Are you growing in patience? Can I make a challenge to you? Single? Others of you focusing on becoming a healthy me before healthy we? Grow in patience. Love is patient. Growing in being patient means waiting for God's best rather than rushing into what you want now. Are you always in a hurry to get what you want rather than waiting for what God wants? That's true whether you're single, dating, or married. He says, love is patient, love is kind. Are you growing in kindness? Kindness is love's response to weakness unkindness is weakness people who are strong are kind when others are weak do you expose other we others weaknesses do you make others feel bad when they're not strong enough No, no no grow in kindness which is a gentleness toward others weaknesses that will allow a relationship to flourish it does, not, it does not envy, meaning it's not, it doesn't want what it doesn't have and it doesn't fight to keep what it does have. It's not jealous. It's not toxic. It doesn't think too highly of itself. It's not proud or arrogant. Love isn't threatened by others' success. It doesn't always demand being in the spotlight. Love is willing to affirm others when they do well and celebrate them. It does not dishonor, it is not self-seeking. Love doesn't cause disgrace. Love doesn't disgrace others, it doesn't embarrass others. And love does not cause regret. Love doesn't do things that make others regret it. How can you grow in being someone who does not cause dishonor? Who isn't always looking out for themselves? How can you grow in being more selfless rather than selfish? It says, love is not easily angered. How can you grow and learn to control your anger? Love is self-controlled. It does not hurt others. It says, love keeps no record of wrong. How do you need to learn how to forgive quickly? To let go of the bitterness and the pain from your past, the hurts that you've held onto. How do you need to grow and heal so that these things don't debilitate you? or get in your way. Let me, let me talking about just how we can grow in godly character. This is part of the, the necessary part of being a healthy me before healthy we. Now let me jump back to the passage I read in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 32. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs and how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or a virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of the world and how she uh, can please her husband. So you notice what he's getting at is this. There is value in being single and there's things you grow in in being single. I, I mentioned at the beginning that one of the challenges within the church is that we, we leave singles feeling insecure and discontent. So let me challenge you. The, uh, the, the, a healthy me means learning to be secure and content. Secure, confident in who you are. I am who God says I am. Let, let, me, let me speak that into your life. You are who Jesus says you are. Find your security, not in a relationship, but in who Jesus says you are. And your identity is in Jesus, not in your relationship status. A key thought I have for you is this. Your significance is not based on having a significant other. That's true if you're single, dating, or married. Your significance is not based on having a significant other other. In fact, there's kind of some important things that should be said, right? There's some, there's some significant singles in the Bible. Let's start with the most significant, Jesus himself. I hope you appreciate that. Jesus was a single man into his 30s before he, was tra- before he died, right? Not tragically. He gave his life as a ransom for our life. You know who else was single? John the Baptist. I can go down, obviously, the Apostle Paul. But, man, heroes of the the Bible, we got people like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and on and on, others who were singles and devoted their life to serving God. The key is to be secure and content. My identity is in God. I am who he says I am. My relationship status does not define my significance. I am, and I am fully content. As you learn to become content as a single individual, content singles are happier singles. Content singles also make happier people who are dating. They make happier married people because it makes you whole. When you become content in who you are, then you can become a whole and complete person. Let me give you a couple other key challenges. One of the goals of a goal of being single is not to date and get married, but to offer yourself completely to God, fully devoted to Jesus as Lord. How can you devote your life to Jesus as Lord? Let me give you a couple key thoughts in that. Here's the deal. Singleness, it's a myth. Singleness does not equal loneliness any more than marriage equals intimacy. You can experience intimacy, in marriage, and you can experience loneliness in singleness. But you can also experience loneliness in marriage and intimacy in singlehood. How? Because when you think about it like this, one of the most powerful things you can do when you're full, as a single person, fully devoting yourself to God, it also means that you devote yourself to meaningful, intimate community. You discover deep, lifelong friends within the church. Why? Because the whole church is your family. You can spend time with people of the faith, people within the church, people who are connected to church than you ever could when you're married. Trust me, you, you can't spend that much time. Why? Because you gotta spend more time home with your spouse, with your kids, you have a family, right? So you're, you have freedom to develop the meaningful friendships and relationships with the family of God. And so I wanna challenge you, would you devote yourself to developing lifelong, meaningful friendships and growing in true community? Also, you are spared the troubles of marriage. It's not that marriage is bad, it's that marriage is complicated. Anything good in life is gonna add complications. So what I, Paul said this way, you get the benefit of not having additional troubles, additional complications. The point is enjoy it while it lasts, whether it lasts a short time or a lifetime. There's also another, this is a central key that Paul is making. He's making the point that singles have an advantage to more fully devote themselves to God because they are less distracted by the cares of life and family. That means that you have more resources to give in time, in finances, and focus. So would you give those things to God by serving God in the church and others? I found this quote and I thought it was really powerful from another pastor who was speaking on this subject. He said this, the only thing more radical in our culture than a man and woman exclusively committed to one another in the covenant of marriage is a single man or a woman living for the good of others and the glory of God as a celibate Christian. Wow, So the only thing more radical than God honoring married couples, living in the covenant of marriage, is a single man or woman who is living for the good of others and the glory of God. Wow, can I take a moment, hopefully I've given you a lot of substance to think about. Healthy me before healthy we. Focus on being the one, not finding a one, growing and developing in Christ-like character, right? Valuing, seeing seeing the honor and the significance in being single and learning how to be secure and content. Can I just take a moment and pray over you? Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, who came from heaven to earth to give his life, to give us life, rose from the dead to give us forever life. Thank you that you did not leave us separated from you, broken in sin. You came to us, you reconciled relationship with us, and then you invited us to become a healthy me. Because Jesus, you're our savior and our Lord. Help every one of us to grow in developing Christ-like character. Help us to understand that our significance is not found in a significant other, but with Jesus as both our source and our center. For those that are single, would they be able to devote themselves more fully to living for Jesus? Help every one of us become secure and content in the specific place you put us in our life right now. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen.